what is the church? I believe that time and tradition have so jaded our perception of what church is that it would do us well to go back to the beginnings of it and determine what it is we were meant to be. So often if we don't know what we were called to be, we fail to walk in the fullness of it. And so I want to take a look. What is church? What does it do? What did What was it designed for? How did it look? How should and could it look for us today? Acts 2 gives us the picture of the beginnings of the early church. The Holy Spirit has come down. He has manifest Himself in the lives of believers, and a mighty thing is beginning to happen in Israel. And as lives are changed, as souls are inhabited, a fellowship of believers is formed. That's the church. We see a picture of the beginnings of that fellowship in Acts 2.42 and following. And as we look at these verses and we see what the early church looked like, what they did for each other, how they, how they met, how they grew, what, they, what standard they held one another to, then perhaps we can have a greater vision of what we are not only called to do, but offered today. A church is not a building. It's not um, a tax identity. (laughs) It doesn't have denominational lines. It encompasses thousands upon thousands who have identical cores. That Holy Spirit that lit like tongues of flame It's what you look like on the inside. It's what I look like on the inside, and that's what makes us family. And so this fellowship of family that we have, we're not the first ones indoctrinated into its fellowship. We're a long line of of people who have morphed into something that might not look a whole lot like its beginnings anymore. So what I wanted to do today, I wanted to take a broad look at um, Acts 2.42 through the end of that chapter and see what the early church looked like. What were their functions? What were the pillars of that sort of church? I want us to see um, what we were meant to be in hopes that we can, through the church together or through any other means that might be available, we might reassert ourselves to to get back any parts that have been lost. We might reassess where we are and make sure we're still on the right track. And maybe what we're doing is great, but maybe there's some parts that are lacking. Maybe there's some things that we've let fall by the wayside because because what, what was so easy to grab was in fact so easy to grab. And We've settled for less than the fullness that's been offered to us as brothers and sisters in Christ. So today we're going to take a take kind of a broad view of these verses and take a look at um, at what the early church looked like. But what I'd really like to do over the coming sessions would be to pick apart what I would call the pillars of the church, the pillars of the early church. Um, look at each one in its own turn, look at each one, one per session and say, okay, what is this? What does it look like to do this? Um, are we doing this today? Are we doing this in our churches 
um, individualistically? Is there are we doing this across denominations and borders? Is there a means for for fully grasping the greatness of this particular gift that's been offered to us? Are we doing that today? And if we if we're not, then how might we do it moving forward? How might we reclaim some of the greatness of the fellowship of believers that was the early church? And so um, today we'll look at what those pillars are from Acts 2, and then in the coming weeks perhaps we will take one um, at a time and see how we might reclaim the greatness of, of what has been offered to us through the church. All right, Acts 2.42, and the verses that follow that, um, they say they devoted themselves, and this is right after Pentecost, and Peter has addressed the crowd, and um, and hordes of, of new converts or, or, or believers are meeting there uh, in Jerusalem. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another, uh, who had, to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." This passage is preceded by the by verse 41 that says those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. So the fellowship of believers that we're talking about in these verses at the end of chapter 2 of Acts, we're not talking about a handful of people. We're talking about a minimum of 3000 people. I don't know about you, but I don't know of all that many people. There are great some great mega churches in the United States and throughout the world, but The majority of people do not go to churches, as in literal location churches, that have more than 3,000 people in them. And even if you do have 3,000 members of your megachurch, how often are you in the same room with 3,000 or more believers? And so what we see here, I want to, at the very beginning, and I said this as soon as the church together was formed, I am not looking to to supplant your local church. We need local churches. But what we see happening in the early church in Acts is we see people meeting. You notice you're talking about thousands of people, but in the verses that I just read, it says they were meeting and, and breaking bread together in people's homes. That's plural, And so the homes that we have now where we're all breaking bread together, those might be our churches. Around the world, they're not buildings called churches. They still meet in in people's homes. Churches do still meet in people's homes all around the world. But the meeting in homes, 3,000 people didn't fit into anybody's home in Palestine. These were subsets of the church that met in people's homes and did some of these things. But the church, the fellowship of believers, was that much larger number of believers. That's what we are. So I'm I need for I need for somebody to understand. I love my local church. And that is where I, I, I find fullness and I find a place of service and I'm fed. But there is something that is that is my home from there in Acts 2. That's that's the home that is mentioned. Right there in verse 46, my local church is the home where I break bread and I find, and I find this, this pointed place. But the fellowship of believers is bigger than the church at my home. 
the fellowship of believers, the early church, there were no dividing lines between one home and the other. You'll notice that even through Paul's ministry, you have people who were in one town sending resources to people they'd never met in another town because they realized that they were part of the same body. It didn't matter that they belonged to this church or this denomination or they lived in this town. They were one body. And so while each of us has these our own individual homes, they ha- we have our home churches, the body of believers is bigger than the home where you break your bread. And that body of believers had a whole lot in common. And the pillars that held that body together and joined that fellowship of believers and created that early church It is something that we are failing to seize today. And therefore, this great beauty that is encompassed from the very beginning of the church founded on the blood of Jesus Christ, it's left on the table. The pillars that are mentioned at the very beginning of this passage about the fellowship of of believers is is what they did. They devoted themselves. And these are what I call the pillars of the early church and what I'd like for us to look at uh, in detail in the coming weeks. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's one, to fellowship, that's two, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So those four things were, were pillars of that early church that as their numbers grew, and by the way, it, it, it ends by saying, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every single day, because the church functioned with this particular foundation, with this particular all-encompassing fellowship, people were added to their number. You know, the word says, you know how people know that we're Christ? You know how they know who we belong to? The way we love each other. Love is what identifies us as his children. And if we don't even come together, then I doubt that we're really expressing and displaying that much love to one another. And therefore, that one thing that draws people to Christ through us, it's not even there. The thing that was leading to so many being added to their number that day was the love that they saw others exhibiting toward one another within the fellowship of believers. So maybe if we stop stop looking to, to be takers, to be entertained, to be satisfied then the longing within us for that which is greater that goes beyond our church walls and the buildings that that have some sort of particular name or denominational preference written on the outside, maybe if we stop looking to those walls to fulfill us spiritually and to, to be the pillars on which we ourselves build that foundation of the part of the body that we contribute, then maybe we will find that there is a whole huge fellowship of believers that could never fit inside the walls of your church or mine, your home or mine. Maybe there is a whole body that needs to function a little bit more acutely, attunely, like powerfully. And when we do that, if we would do that, that I think that we would see that the thousands, countless of thousands would be added to his number every day. So much so that no walls of any church could hold them. I don't know about you, but I'm longing for revival, for awakening. I want to see the world return to the place where we're grown and respected men. They say, follow me. I'm headed to the church and we're gonna get on our knees and we're gonna surrender to the Almighty. Where people of influence, they don't, they don't get too busy to give the Lord his due. 
and they aren't too proud to take it for themselves. Maybe, just maybe, if we all functioned, all of us as believers, we all functioned as we were meant to, as our predecessors showed us the model of how to, maybe if we did that, then it would create this wonderful awakening as people are drawn toward the love that they see us exhibiting toward one another. And so let's just take a perfunctory look at these four pillars and exactly what that might show us about what we're missing out on, what we might want to reclaim. The first of those is um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I love, um, I'm a part of the Perspectives, uh, Perspectives on the World Christian Movement class, and um, I love that one of the things that, that that class kind of impresses on you to do is learn. You know, if you want to learn about unreached people groups or you want to learn about the lost people of the world, if you want to learn about what God is doing among the nations, um, then that's a great stepping stone to whatever it is your role might be in those things. Be a lifelong learner. You know, if I want to learn about, about unreached people, then then pick one, go study, read books. You know, if I want to learn how to be a doctor, then I'm going to have to study for that. There's a beauty in the fact that God is unending, unsearchable. I can live my entire life learning, studying. I will never reach the ends of him. There's an old song, um, if, if I had a thousand years and words could fall like rain. I'd, I'd still run out of time. I could spend my whole life praising him and I'd still run out of time. I could spend my whole life studying him and I'd still run out of time. As believers, we will have an eternity to learn about him, to get to know him, and we'll still run out of time. There's more of him than there is of eternity. We should be lifelong learners. And these, these early these early followers, these early believers, these early brothers, they came together to learn. They devoted themselves to being taught and to teaching, to figuring out how it is to become all that God called them to be. That's what we've been doing for the last few months. I want to learn. I want to be taught. I want to understand what it means to, to be fully His. That's the kind of thing that we're meant to do, not only on our own as we sit in the quiet moments of our day and, and pull up our resources and, and let God lead and guide. We're meant to do that collectively. And there's just such a beauty to it. The second pillar then there is um, they devoted themselves to the, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. I don't know about y'all, but I've mentioned this so many times but I have found that through this whole post-COVID world, it's, it's like we've some, it's, it's like half of us have realized how deeply our longing for fellowship is. It goes. Like, I know now. I know this about myself. As, as introverted as I have ever been, and as much as I have always thought I would just do absolutely fine with never encountering another human, I have. I can say categorically now, that is not true. I am made for fellowship. And without it, I'm, I'm just not full. I'm just not all I was intended to be. I, I long for that, and there's a reason. 
But there's another element to this that, that I'd, I'd love to see us encompass as the church together. The fellowship that they shared was among thousands of people who had previously not known each other. No, Jerusalem at this time, it tells us, was packed with people from all sorts of different regions and areas. They had come together, not because they were a family, but because it was the hub. It was, it was the city. It was the religious season. They, they came together as strangers, but they found out they, they weren't strangers at all. And so these people, they didn't have to look alike and they didn't have to sound alike. I mean, for goodness sakes, when, when the Holy Spirit came down on those early disciples, they all started speaking in different languages. You know why? It's because people that they encountered were speaking in different languages. <laughs> they didn't know each other. They didn't look alike. They didn't speak the same languages. They didn't come from the same cultures or backgrounds. And they certainly weren't of the same, quote, denomination. They didn't have to have those similarities. The fellowship that they shared and they enjoyed, it transcended all of those lines. So the fact that I've never seen your face and you've only heard my voice and I've never heard yours, I can grow. I can thrive in a knowledge that you exist and you have a passion for him that matches mine. But if I don't know it, I can't seize it. I can't be encouraged by it. That early church, part of what, part of the draw to that church was the love that was exhibited through just fellowshipping, just doing life together, just sharing together. And then it says uh, that they devoted their time to the breaking of bread. It goes on later to say that they broke bread in one another's homes. And so there's the obvious connotation of they ate together, you know. Honestly, I would love to see the church together come to a point in its history where, where we do do things that look very much like uh, having a meal together. I think a lot can be done over the internet. I think there are a lot of things I'd like to see us do over the internet, but um, there's, got, there's got to be a church together to do that together. There's got to be a body that, that wants to gather there for that. So I, I do think that there is a place for us to break bread with one another as in literally share a meal. This we can do, um, I hope, eventually as the church together, but this you can do today. Have lunch with somebody who, who doesn't look like you. Have lunch with somebody who doesn't have the same denominational core. Have lunch with, with somebody who is just traveling through your town. Invite someone to dinner who's an international student Build a relationship with somebody who has your same core but doesn't have your same history or heritage. We can do that today, and that's part of what made the early church so beautiful. And as a part of the, that heritage that I think we would, we would just really find a thriving in if we were to attempt to reclaim it today. I can tell you there's, and I, I may have even said this before, there is just really not much greater high than sitting in a church in a nation that isn't your own and enjoying a service in a, in a language that's not your own. I mean, there's some great churches around the world who, you know, they have all sorts of, they'll have interpreter, interpreters up front who literally interpret line for line. I've been to, ch to churches where wonderful people uh, at that church week in and week out, they, they sit in the back somewhere with a microphone and they translate as it goes and you wear a little earpiece and you hear the whole thing in English as, as well as the language that's being spoken at the front of the room. But there is just not much better than sitting in a room full of people you have never met before 
praising a God that you know very well. And knowing they're doing the same thing. They start singing a song and, and you don't know the words they're saying, but you know what they mean in your own language because the tune is so familiar. There's just this greatness in fellowshipping with other believers. They don't have to look like you and they don't have to sound like you. But there is just not much that thrills my soul more than enjoying that fellowship. The final pillar of the church is prayer. That's something that we can do. We have, we have discussed in detail over the last few weeks and months. And so um, I, I want to actually show that to, to let some of you who either don't or can't enjoy corporate or communal prayer together, I would love for us to have the opportunity to, to invite you to, to feel what it's like. I, I met with my group just this morning that meets once a week, and we, we pray together out loud. And I think each one of us, we are so moved week after week after week at just how powerful it is to pray with other people. And that is obviously, clearly, and easily like, it's not hard to do. It's not hard to do across borders. It's not difficult to, to find a means to do that. And so it's just crazy that, that other people, they might not know that they're longing for it, but, but what I have in that group, trust me, if you are in Christ, you, you want that. It's beautiful. So... Um, that's another part of what they did together. I do believe that to say that they that they prayed means that they prayed in isolation. They went into their own little war rooms and they had their own quiet moments with the Lord. But I believe it also means that they prayed together. They broke bread and they prayed together. And so these are the these are the pillars of the early church. These are the things that help to contribute to that massive growth that we see throughout the book of Acts. This is the fullness that they found in life when, I mean, they were willing to give up everything. It says literally, they gave, they gave up everything. It was so beautiful to them. It was such a longing of their hearts that they, they literally, they shared everything in common and all that they had was used to the blessing of, of the other believers within their fellowship. It was literally worth everything that they had and everything that they were. So it's probably pretty valuable. <laughs> I can see a longing in me for it, and therefore it has a value to me. But the fullness of what that value is, I can't really, I can't really grasp until, until it's there in my hand. And so I really do hope that over the coming weeks, we will come together and we will, we will find ways to, to reclaim, to reclaim the greatness of this early church that maybe we do have a little piece of it. We have a little bit of knowledge of what it feels like to have, a, to have just the home, just to be a part of that one home where these things happened. But I'd really like for us to get to the point where we know the greatness of realizing that there are thousands meeting in homes all over the world doing the same thing. And that we might actually fulfill all the functions of that church that we were intended to and reclaim that awakening, that revival, that resurgence 
that we see in the early church. This is what they looked like. This is what they did. This is how they felt. This is how they sacrificed. And this is how the kingdom grew. And so, let's be what we were made to be. If you don't, I'm doing a series right now, actually, a, a Bible study called In Christ I Am. You know, if I don't, if I don't know that I'm a, a priest, then I'm probably not going to perform the functions of one. If I don't know that I'm a dearly loved son or daughter, then I might not walk in the fullness of being that. If I don't know that I'm called to be a blessing, then I might not go around acting like one. If I don't know that I'm called to be part of a church that's a whole lot bigger than my building that has a name on the outside, then I might not function like one. But we were made to. And right now, I hear the Lord telling me, I hope that you hear the Holy Spirit impressing on you. You were made for more. You've settled for something really, really good. But don't get all caught up in the trappings. You know how when you give a, a gift sometimes, you wrap up that present, and then there'll be like one little thing that you wanted to add, so you just kind of tie it onto the bow on the top? <laughs> I really feel like today's church, we have opened... Um, we've received that present, and, and it's got this one little thing that's like tied to the, you know, like if it's a Christmas present or something, there'll be like a little ornament hanging from the bow. We have opened that. We have looked at that and thought, this ornament is so great. Thank you so much for the gift. And we fail to open the big present. <laughs> so long we have been satisfied with the little gift that's just attached to the top, that's just hanging off the bow. When there's this whole treasure trove, this whole amazing gift waiting to be unwrapped, We've got great little presents on the top, but, but I really want to open it. I really want to open that big gift. I really want to know the greatness of receiving this immeasurable thing that the early church, they, they thought was so valuable, they gave everything for. Let's be the church. Let's be the fellowship of believers. Let's draw in thousands. Let's still enjoy our homes and our home churches but not be limited by the walls we've put up. Whether they be of brick and mortar or simply of thoughts, ideologies, and sacraments and denominational differences. Let's be the fellowship of believers. Let's break bread together. Let's enjoy the fellowship we were made for and reclaim that which is ours in Christ. <laughs>